You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today's scripture reading is 2 Chronicles 25, 1-2. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Amaziah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. It's good to see you uh, as always, and we praise the Lord for our our worship team and for our sent ones. Um, Always a joy to be able to commission people uh, to the field. Uh, This text today is going to uh, remind us of the the grand narrative of the Bible and and why we need Jesus. Uh, Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 15 and 16. Pastor Jesse did a wonderful job in shepherding us towards uh, this promised uh, seed that will come, that will wound the head of the serpent while only uh, wounding his heel. And we know that this is uh, the first promise of the scripture of, of Jesus, who is going to be this promised seed to bring restoration. Well, from there, we see that um, God exiles Adam and Eve from the garden. Um, they begin this journey. And God's plan is to find a specific uh, group of people to make his own. And that through this specific group of people who we know as Israel, um, he would bring this promised seed, this promised Messiah. So the Old Testament is about this God uh, bringing a family, making this family his own in order to bless the nations. And so we see that God does this by delivering Israel out of Egypt, taking them through the wilderness, giving them a law. This time they were a theocracy. God was ruling them. God was keeping them. But Israel eventually would demand a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. And this is a fact, even though God tells them and warns them that by having a king rule over you, um, that the king will, in essence, be half-hearted, that eventually power would take over his heart and he would make them slaves and he would take the best of their lands, their crop, uh, their children, their, their wives for himself. But Israel, wanting to be like the other nations, demand a king and God gives them a king. And so that's really what 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles is about. It's chronicling this journey of Israel in their kings. It's giving us a genealogy that that Luke and uh, Matthew is going to pick up on the New Testament. And the reason that this is important is because it is showing us why we need Jesus and how we got Jesus. And that the same people that Jesus came through, he came for. And so today we're going to narrow in on a particular king because I think that he uh, will serve as a type of all the other kings 
to help point us to the true king, Jesus Christ. Now, one thing about the book of Chronicles is that often when the writer is summing up a king's life, he will do so in one verse, and then that verse is then unpacked in the rest of the story. So, for example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we meet a man by the name of Joash, who is our key figure, Amaziah's father. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2, we read this about Joash. It said, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoda, the priest. And so that's going to sum up Joash's life. All the years um, of, of this priest's life, Joash is going to be uh, obedient to the Lord. But when this priest dies, when his pastor dies, he wiles out. He wiles out, goes wild, goes buck wild. And as a result, God is not pleased with him, and eventually he is assassinated. Well, then we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, and this is what we read about Amaziah. It says, and Amaziah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Johadan, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right, listen to this, in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. Amaziah's story is going to be unpacked for the rest of chapter 25. And we're going to see three movements that's going to expose that he started off doing what was right externally, but because his heart was not in it, it will lead to his spiritual failure. And here's the big idea for today. It's half-hearted worship leads to spiritual failure. Half-hearted worship leads to spirit, spiritual failure. This message isn't for your neighbor. This message isn't for the person behind you. This message isn't for the person you wish was watching on live stream. This message is for you. This message is for me. Half-hearted spiritual devotion leads to spiritual failure. And we're going to see this unpacked in the rest of the chapter. It's interesting that when God reveals himself to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God calls Israel to wholehearted worship. He says, to love the Lord your God with your whole being. And Jesus picks this up in the Gospels when he tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Wholehearted worship is what Jesus is after for every single one of us. And the only way in which we worship wholeheartedly is if we, if we give all of ourselves to Jesus in full surrender. And this is not something we do one time. This is something that we make a conscious effort to do every single day. We guard our heart with all diligence, knowing that from it flows the issues of life. We recognize that our heart is an idol-making factory, and we have to get in there with the gospel every single day, all day, to uproot those idols and to remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. And why that is better than life itself. Verse 3 through 4, we're going to see these movements. 
of faithful obedience. Amaziah is going to start off faithfully obeying the Lord. And then we're going to see faithless obedience and then flagrant disobedience. Let's look at faithful obedience. Verse three and four, as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, he executed his servants who had killed his father, the king. However, he did not put their children to death because as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded fathers are not to die because of their children and children are not to die because of their fathers, but each one will die for his own sin. So externally, Amaziah starts off well. He starts off doing what is right, even though his heart isn't fully devoted to the Lord. And it starts off as faithful obedience. Amaziah is a new king. And it was expected that when a new king came into a rulership, that he would make an example of his foes for the body to see. And so what he would do is he would eliminate anyone who was a threat to his throne. And this was a pattern that we would see sometimes in Israel, but definitely by the other nations. A king would come in, he would make a statement. It's kind of like the president of the United States, the first hundred days, he's supposed to be making a statement. And he will make that statement to send a signal. This is what I'm about. Everyone fall in line. But the text says that Amaziah is going to do something that's different than what everyone expects. More than likely, Amaziah calls a priest. He calls someone to read to him the law of the Lord. And he says, listen, I need to pay uh, to, to kill those who killed my father, Johas, who assassinated the king. And then upon hearing the law of the Lord, which is read that um, you can do that. But according to the law of Moses, you should not pay um, a child back for the father's sin. And Amaziah says, huh? Well, because of the law of Moses, I will not kill the kids of the people who killed my father, I will just kill this person. And this would have been a great loss to Amaziah. There would have been people in his kingdom who would have saw him as a punk, who would have saw him as weak. But Amaziah, at this moment in his life, decides that to obey the scripture and to obey the Lord is better, even at his own risk. And we know that the Bible is a book about the amazing patience and grace of God. God shows up to Moses and Moses said, Lord, reveal yourself. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful. We know that God is, is patient. We know that he is gracious. We know that he is compassionate. But the Bible also tells us that this God who is patient and compassionate is also holy. And that he is a God who calls his people to a life of holiness and obedience. Think about it. Throughout the Old Testament, we see many of the central characters that those who are celebrated as, as people of faith and those who we, who we most remember are those who were obedient. Those who practice faithful obedience. Remember Noah? God tells him to build an ark because he intends to send a flood. And even though Noah doesn't even have the, the, the capacity or imagination to really know what that means, he steps out on faith and he does it. In Genesis chapter 6, we read this, and Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He was faithfully obedient even when it didn't make sense. Or remember Abraham, 
Abraham is perhaps the greatest example of obedience in the Old Testament. God tells Abraham to leave Haran and to head to Canaan, and he does what God tells him to do. Moreover, God commands him to go out and to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering, and Abraham's obedience is so unwavering that he is ready to destroy the only living evidence of God's promise to him, since it is through Isaac that God promised to birth a nation. And this is the type of obedience that God calls his people to. This type of obedience requires and points to faith, to surrendering to God. And the only way that this obedience grows and happens is through a faith that is rooted in love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And this command would seem impossible. It would seem drudgerous if it was a command that wasn't rooted and motivated by being loved by God. God calling us to to live in love towards him with all of our strength, all of our might, and with our our mind would be impossible if we did not know that the one who's calling us to this love has loved us in the most amazing and unimaginable way. God gave this to Israel. Israel. Israel who had been stepped on and and walked over, who had been enslaved and and overworked. Israel, who could not save themselves from, from Pharaoh's grip. God gave this command to them after he broke the grip of Satan by sending plagues and miracles and delivering them out of Egypt. God showed his love for them by opening the Red Sea allowing them to walk through on dry ground, saying, this is how much I love you. Look at how I part the waters for you. Look at how I delivered you. Look at how I came and got you when you couldn't get yourself. And God has shown his love for you by allowing his son, Jesus Christ's arm to be stretched wide, hung high, dropped low, by allowing all of his eternal wrath for, for your sin and for my sin to be placed on an innocent man's shoulders. By allowing him to die. For three days and arise with all power in his hands. This love that delivers, this love that saves, this love that picks us up and turns us around and and places our feet on on solid ground, this love that, that promises us abundant life and eternal life is the love that fuels and that motivates us to love him. 
How do we know if we've been captured by this love? How do we know if we love this love? We, we know it, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But obeying God takes faith. We live in a fallen world. We are met with discouragement. We are learning about ourselves and about others. We are met with constant disappointment. The world is going one way. We're going upstream the other way. Sometimes obeying God seems counterintuitive, counterproductive, and countercultural. Which means that obeying God takes faith. Sherry Bridges says it well when he says, I realize anew that just as we must learn to obey God one choice at a time, we also must learn to trust God one circumstance at a time. Trusting God is not a matter of my feelings, but of my will. I never feel like trusting God when adversity strikes, but I can choose to do so even when I don't feel like it. That act of the will, though, must be based on belief, and belief must be based on truth. Hebrews 11 and 6 puts it this way. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that, listen, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Christian, God rewards those who diligently seek him just as he rewarded Noah by making a covenant with him, by promising to never flood the earth again. Just as he rewarded Abram by changing his name to Abraham and by uh, allowing the, the nations to be, to be birthed through him, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards you with peace and with joy and with love. He rewards you with his presence. He rewards you with eternal life, with a love that is so beautiful and so deep, a love that, that will never allow you to be separated from him. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor things past, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate you from this love. He frees you from condemnation and guilt and shame. He, he calls you his beloved as you are in Christ. He loves you as if you have never sinned because of his son's sacrifice and your faith in him. Do you love God? And if you say yes, are you seeking him and through the power of his Holy Spirit seeking to obey him? Are you picking up your cross and following Jesus wholeheartedly? Are you following him by faith through love? 
We see faithful obedience turn into faithless obedience with Amaziah. Then Amaziah gathered Judah in verse 5 and assembled them according to ancestral families, according to the commanders of thousands, according to commanders of hundreds. He numbered those 20 years old or more for all Judah and Benjamin. He found there to be 300,000 fit young men who could serve in the army bearing spear and shield. Then for 7,500 pounds of silver, he hired 100,000 valiant warriors from Israel. However, a man of God came to him and said, King, do not let Israel's army go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, all the Ephraimites. But if you go with them, do it. Be strong in battle. That's sarcasm. But God will make you stumble before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to make one stumble. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, what should I do with 7,500 pounds of silver that I gave Israel's division? And the man of God replied, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. This text says that Amaziah wants to go to war with the Edomites. He has a smaller army than Israel's used to going to war with. So out of fear, out of fear, Amaziah goes to Israel. Israel during this time is acting buck wild. They are worshiping false idols. They are in God's doghouse. But what Amaziah does is he says, I'm going to find 100,000 mercenaries. They are going to join us in battle, and we're going to go and fight the Edomites. A man of God, a prophet comes to him and says, man, this is not the right way to go about it. Go about it the right way. Do not unequally yoke yourself with people with whom God's favor is not on. Amaziah should have known the story of Gideon and how God could do with 300 who are faithfully serving him, um, what some kings couldn't do with 3 million. Amaziah should have read uh, the words of David and, and the, the, the psalmist who reminds us that some trust in horses, others in chariots, but we will put our trust in the name of the Lord. Amaziah should have known that God is able to do what he wills with the nations. But out of fear and presumption and pride, because he has an idol for power and dominance, chooses to go to war with these soldiers. Here's the thing. Amaziah is going to have a conversation with the man of God. Verse 7. And the man of God says, King, do not let your armies go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, all the Ephraimites. Verse 8, but if you go with them, do it. Be strong for battle, but God will make you stumble before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to make one stomach. Verse 9, then Amaziah said to the man of God, what should I do with the 7,500 pounds of silver I gave you? This is reluctant obedience. Amaziah is going to obey, but he is going to put up a fight before he obeys. He says, what about all the money we're going to lose? We paid these men to do a job. They're not going to do a job. We're going to lose out on this money. This is begrudging obedience. And here's what I want to tell you. Faithful obedience is not delayed obedience. We tell our, our kids, obedience is obeying the right way, right away, And all the way. The right way. The right attitude. 
right away. It's not when you feel like it. It's when we say, and all the way. Don't do half the job. Because that's not obedience. Here, Amaziah is going to obey, but it's not going to be obedience from faith. And obeying from a heart that is out of duty and not from a heart flowing with love and faith is not wholehearted worship. And getting to this type of living, this wholehearted living, this this type of living that is from faith, motivated by love, that obeys right away, the right way, and all the way, requires space. It requires rhythms that are sustainable. It requires the word being center to our life. Amaziah starts off with, give me the law of the word, the law of of the Lord. And then he goes to, to not calling for the law before he acts, but acting first and then hearing the word. It requires us living from a heart, uh, a position that is not presumptuous, that doesn't just act and do and go and act and do and go and then praise that God blesses our plans. No, it's a posture that starts off with the Lord. It's what Jesus taught. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Seek ye first. Because what happens when we don't seek the Lord first, we get into relationships. We take jobs. We, we move frantically about. We, we, we spend our money how we want. We, we live according to our own wisdom. We make a, a mess out of our lives, and then we blame God. Seek the Lord first. Seek him first. This may sound old school. This may sound basic, but I'm telling you, it will save your life. Not only will it save your life, it will save those who are living with you from unnecessary pain. Because how we live affects others in our life. What we pursue and what we worship affects those around us. And that's what we see in this text. The text tells us that Amaziah lets these men go. And out of anger, these men go to Judah and they raid Judah because they probably wanted uh, the the bounty that was going to happen from war. And they said, we're going to get this bounty one way or another. It wasn't just the pounds of silver that we were going to get. We also, when we defeat a nation, we get to take their gold and their treasures. And they said, we're going to get it one way or another. So what do they do? They go to Judah and they kill 3,000 people. 3,000 people minding their own business, living their own lives, all of a sudden are impacted and affected because of someone else's presumption and someone else's idols. Your sin affects your friend. It affects how they show up. Your hidden sin affects your ability to encourage and to be present and to love. Your sin affects your spouse, it affects your children, it affects your grandmama and your grandmama's grandmama. It affects, it affects us all. That's partial joking and a smile, but it affects. It has, we're part of a body, especially those who are in Christ. But here's my question for you. 
First nine, it says that the man of God, he replies after Amaziah says, yo, we're about to lose all this money. He says, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Some of us, we are entangled in in sin because we we have a this that we don't want to let go. And part of it is deeper than that, right? It's not, it's not so simple. I know it's not so simple. This, this has been shaped, it's been, been formed, and it's shaped us. It is what we have went to in times of distress. It's, it's been for us when no one else has been for us. And, and this, this is what we kind of have built our identity around. And to lose this, this seems like a lot. But I'm telling you, the gospel tells us that the Lord is able to give you much more than this. This, this, whatever your this is doesn't love you like Jesus loves you. This, this, whatever this, this is, won't fulfill you like Jesus will fulfill you. This, this, whatever this, this is, will not comfort you like Jesus will comfort you. And part of being a disciple of Jesus is surrendering your life to him and allowing him to reform you, to re-pattern your heart so that you can experience life more abundantly. And so many of us are are settling for this, this, when God is able to give you more than this. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the waters. He established it upon the seas. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in this holy place? He has not lifted up his soul to idols, nor sworn deceitfully. The cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to the Lord. This doesn't compare to the joy that he can give. You want happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. God wants you to have joy. Joy. Joy is the the ability to be satisfied when everything around you is on fire and has burned down. Joy can, can lead you to have a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. This will fade. This will rust, this will burn, this can move, this can be taken, but he will never fail. He will never rust. He will never let you go. The Lord is able, dear sister, to give you more than this. He'll keep you when you don't want to be kept. He'll forgive you when no one else will. This. This. Faithless obedience is not obedience. Faith is what pleases God. Faith is what pleases God. Your faith isn't in your faith. Your faith is in the one who gave you your faith. Place your faith on Jesus. Finally, we see flagrant disobedience as I hurry to a close. Sin binds us, it blinds us, and then it grinds so I preached a couple of weeks to say sin makes you 
I'm going to say silly. Make some silly. Verses 14 through 16, Amaziah, after defeating the Edomites, takes their gods to be his god. Then the prophet, man of God, comes back and says, yo, why do you consult the people's God which could not save their own people? And then Amaziah responds and says, have we appointed you an advisor to the king? Stop. Why be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I love it's like that moment from Friday. I'm going, I'm going to talk. I'm going to stop. But when you leave, I'm going, I'm going to keep talking, right? <laughs> the prophet stopped. But as he was stopping, he says, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. I'm done. King said, wait a minute, I'm a grown man. Who gave you the right to talk to me? Oh, how the mighty has fallen. Just earlier in the text, Amaziah is seeking more than likely the counsel of the priest, hearing the law of God read to him. Then we see he moves from putting the word first to putting the word of something that he consults when he's made a mess of things. And now it's stop. I don't even want to hear it. Who gave you the right? to talk to me like this. You know who I am? I'm King Amaziah. Sin brings us down. It's a parasite. It eats away at us. Jonah. Yes, Pastor Jamal, come here and tell tell him your story. Tell him about how God told you to go to Nineveh, but instead you went to Tarsha. What happened? Well, Pastor Jamal, after I made the decision, everything was downhill from there. I went down to Tarshish to buy a ticket to get away from Nineveh. And then I stepped down on board. And then after stepping down on board of a ship to get away, I went down into the hull of the ship. And then God sent a, a mighty storm. It was a divine storm. And the people that I was on the ship with, they realized that something wasn't right. And I confessed it was me. And they threw me down overboard where a fish came. And I went down into the belly of the fish. And for three days, I went down into the sea. Sin will take you down. A progressive digression. I once heard a friend of mine say that the pastoring for 20 years, and sometimes he feels like a prophet in the wilderness, standing a few hundred yards before a cliff with a sign warning those who are traveling down the road to slow down because right around the bender is a cliff. And over and over, it's warning, trying to get in front of these cars. And zoom, boom, zoom, boom, zoom, boom. And after being a licensed minister since 2004, I can, I can say the same. This type of flagrant disobedience, it doesn't happen overnight. Nope. 
It happens one click at a time. One discussion of a time, one week at a time, not seeking the Lord. It happens when we put ourselves around company that isn't walking with Jesus. After all, blessed is the one who walks in the council on the uh, who doesn't walk in the council of the ungodly, or sit in the seats of scoffers, nor stand in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yield its fruit and its season. His leaves shall not wither, and all that he does, he will prosper. Blessed, flourishing, Macarius, happy are those. Flagrant disobedience doesn't happen overnight. It happens when we allow the seed of doubt to grow, when we pamper it. No. We all may go through dark seasons of the soul. We all may have doubts. But what do we do with those doubts? We doubt those doubts. We, we go to the scriptures, we put people around us that remind us that God has spoken and that his way is the way and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is water in the middle of a, a desert. That Jesus is bread for life. Jesus is the king that our hearts have waited for. And I'm so glad that where earthly kings fail, that he will never fail. And I'm so glad that God did not leave us to ourselves looking to mere mortals, but that he himself decided to come and to fix our problem by traveling 42 generations. The God of this universe limited himself to space and time, became a fetus, sat in the womb of a woman, traveled down her, her, her tunnel, allowed her to hold him while he was holding the whole world in his hands, allowed himself to be rejected by family and by friends, to be mocked and accused and, and made fun of allowed himself to travel the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrow, to have thorns placed on his head and mocked as the king of the Jews, to have his hair plucked and his face beaten. This carpenter's son allowed his body to be placed on an old rugged cross and nails to be pierced through his palms and through his allowed his body to be stripped naked in front of his own mother and to be hung high and dropped low and stretched wide to be forsaken by those who said that they loved him all because he had a plan to redeem us, you and me, so that when we fail spiritually, it would not be the end, but rather at the end of that stretch, there's another lane when we go to him as our mediator. There's forgiveness of sin and grace and peace because this king was faithfully obedient. He obeyed right away, the right way, and all the way until the point of death. Just 
set your eyes and your affections on him by repenting of the idols of your heart, perhaps its significance, its power or control, and by rejoicing for what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.